It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here. This is going to be a fantastic and amazing show. I'll be introducing my guests shortly, and I promise we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to learn a lot along the way. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every single week. Last year, I moved back to Iowa, to my hometown, which is a small farming community. Except for a subway and a Dollar General, there's not much going on around here unless you travel a minimum of 30 minutes away. I saw an ad on Facebook recently that Chick-fil-A was sending a food truck to a neighboring town for one day only. I was curious, so I checked to see where the nearest Chick-fil-A store was, and the nearest ones are 90 minutes away or more. And I thought, wow, this is a really good idea. Testing new markets by doing a one-day food truck in neighboring communities is awesome for them for several reasons. Number one, it continues to build brand awareness. If a store isn't in your town, you tend not to think about it very much. This is a creative way to be top of mind even for a day. Number two, you capture sales with people who don't normally have access to you. It's a great way to build your bottom line. And number three, they get to test market receptivity. They get to see firsthand how a new market receives their new product or service. It also might be a test to see if the chain should expand to that particular community. These are great takeaways. So if you happen to have a business that can include a remote component, sending a truck to a new community every day is a great way to expand. If you are in the food business, consider visiting a new town once a week or better yet. If you want to stay local, get agreements with several local businesses and go there during their lunch breaks once a week or even every day. It's a great way to expand your brand. And if you've not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do that. Leave a five-star review if you would. That would mean a lot to me. We've been doing this show for almost 12 years. I've got well over 200 five-star reviews. Can't wait to add yours to the mix. My very special guest this week is Jerome Maldonado. Let me tell you about him. He's built an eight-figure empire and has mentored sales, real estate, and business people all around the world. His unique ability to streamline results makes his training high in demand as his methods are not found anywhere but inside his teachings. His story captivates people because he started from scratch and struggled to get his business off the ground for many years. And with his early struggles, he learned what it takes to build an empire from the ground up. His passion is to bring as many people with him on the journey to take their lives and business to the next level. We have a lot to unwrap and unravel during the show today. So here we are with my very special guest, Jerome Maldonado. Jerome, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here today. Brian, uh, I'm pleased to be here and excited that you invited me to be on the show. All right. That's awesome. So the first question I love to ask is, did you envision early on that you would be where you are right now? Oh, no, Brian. I, I, it's really tough in early years because when you first start as a, I started as a entrepreneur at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my 30 year anniversary this year. Um, wow. This past uh, June. And when you're a kid, you just want, like, you just want to make a living, right? Like a better living than the average person. But, but what is that? What is What does that mean? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and as a kid, all that meant to me was I could go to any restaurant I wanted to and not have to look at the prices on the menu and, and order anything I wanted from those menus, um, live in a nice, ho- a nice home in a nice subdivision and be able to have the option to have a, a, a real nice car or two and um, be able to travel, travel leisurely. And so that's the picture of what success looked like in my eyes in my early years. And I didn't have kids or a wife in those days. So success has changed substantially as to what I envision uh, success to be and what I've really found success to be. And so, no, what I envisioned back then is entirely different than what I envision today and what I actually um, enjoy in the life of what people would call success um, and how I've actually laid out my life, which I have been so blessed in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So what did your path look like prior to your current career? I mean, you and I have talked a lot, so I know a lot of your backstory, but just a, a short synopsis. Uh, you started in construction, right? Well, not not originally. Um, so yeah. I, I started in multi-level marketing right. um, in my entrepreneurial journal, journey, like a lot of people. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurship. Uh, my dad was an accountant. My mom uh, was a bookkeeper and got into nonprofit organizations and, and um, really still focuses in that realm today um, in her seventies. But I uh, was in pharmacy school doing the whole college bit that everybody does, you know, go to school, get a, get a great education and, and go get a job. And um, I was on that track. Um, I was a dyslexic young kid that uh, was ambitious in um, a lot of different things when it came to sports and even little entrepreneurial stuff like tinting windows on cars and putting audio systems in cars. Um, and I, I worked, and I was very ambitious in the fact that I had a great work ethic. So I worked at a grocery store. Um, I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with Kroger's brand, but it was a, it was Smith's grocery stores back then, if you're from the Southwest or Utah area. And, um, and I became a manager at a young age, got a lot of leadership skills from just being a, a leader with my work ethic. Mm-hmm. And um, and was embraced by a lot of people um, in the uh, grocery business and my managers at a young age. So I I got mentored in not an entrepreneurial fashion, but as in a leadership fashion of how to manage people. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't I didn't think I'd ever be self-employed because I was never really taught it and I didn't really know much about it. All I knew is that one year I was really frustrated in college because I had spent literally night and day studying for exams, barely got through a semester. And I just wanted a break. I was a, I was a, a college athlete and I went to go get a job in a gym for the summer. I, I wanted to quit my job doing my internship rotations in the pharmacy. And I just wanted like my Brian, my envision of a break was to go manage or run a gym so I can mm-hmm. work out when I wanted to manage a gym and, um, and enjoy the summer. And um, ironically enough, I answered a health and fitness ad and I uh, was sell- landed up selling water filters and vitamins in the ni- early 1990s when there was no water, bottled water on the shelves other than Evian and for your radiator in your car. And that was the, the introduction to uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah. I, I, they told me yeah. I could earn, earn money off other people's efforts. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, bit, I bit it hook, line and sinker. And that was kind of the start to what has uh, parlayed me to where I am today. That's fantastic. And I know another part of your story, much later on, you bought a retail center and put your own businesses in that retail center. That's a brilliant strategy. Yeah, we, 
you know, one thing about business and uh, people, I, I think people have like a, you know, our parents teach us to go out and pick a career. And I think in most recent years, it's become a little bit more socially acceptable to uh, palette and try different things. But mm-hmm. in my era, um, you know, going through the high, my, through high school in the late 80s and early 90s, we, um, you would go and hold a job for a long duration of time. And so trying different things was not really something that people did, right? Like they got a, a, a job and they worked it for many years. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship is the exact opposite of that. The, mm-hmm. It's the survival for the fittest. Um, and you can take a look at almost any business, right? There's, there's peaks and valleys, just like if you look at cryptocurrency, you know, it, it ran a great solid run for, you know, a, a good five years of heavy high affluency. And then it, it got beat up in just recent years. Now, long term, you know, electronic currency is going to be great, but it's not going to be the same heyday that it was, um, you know, a couple years ago. Right. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is very similar because a lot of businesses, they, they come and go. You take a look at little little uh, trends and fads like the pet rock or you take a look at like um, – even real estate, like Airbnb, it was a big, it was a big giant industry within the real estate sector. And now it's one of the most um, financially distressed asset classes within real estate. And I don't know that Airbnb will ever come back to the uh, financial lucrativity that it once was, but those people that hit the fad mm-hmm. have done great. So where do those yep. people go now? Like if that is your business model, that's all you know, you die mm-hmm. in, in business. And so yep. survival of the fittest in entrepreneurship is super important. And one thing I remember my dad, who's a conservative, you know, true and true. He's an employee. I love him to death. One of the most honest, hardworking people I've ever met in my entire life. But, um, but, you know, he's a pessimistic individual in regards to business life in general. And, um, and I, anything that I did, I remember in early years, he would tell me, Jerome, why don't you just focus on this one thing instead of being so diversified in, in, mm-hmm. in expanding yourself thin in all these other areas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I never really listened to that because diversification and trying new stuff was all, I was all about it. I love, I love the challenge and I still do. And um, I remember when the, uh, I remember when the uh, recession hit in 2008, my, I remember my dad, cause he was my accountant. He was an accountant for 32 years, did my books for many, many years until recent years. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked at me one day, and this was after I'd been um, back and had opened up my construction company after about a 10-year run. And he goes, Jerome, he goes, it sure is a good thing that you're diversified. Mm-hmm. It sure is a good thing. That, and it was funny because I said, that was not the same song and dance he was singing 10 years prior. Right. But because of my diversification, it got me through the recession. And mm-hmm. point being, to your comment, um, one of the things that we diversified in was because I was in retail. I was doing ground up construction in residential single family homes and in retail and retail got pounded hard in a negative way in 2008 and um, banks were contracting on us at a time when I thought we were going to be hitting passive income and a magnitude that I had never hit before. And I was going to be hitting slam dunk home runs on these retail centers. I was doing all this value add stuff. And then I decided to take it and embrace the ground up new construction game, had a couple small ones, but then I decided to scale big. And right when I decided to scale big was, was uh, the recession hit me right at Mm -hmm. the tail end of a couple of my big builds. And the only way, 
to, to get those things to cash flow was to get creative. So I opened up some beauty salons just to give the uh, buildings life. I, I became a franchise sub, uh, a franchise, a subway franchisee. And um, we started buying a lot of subway stores, putting them in our empty buildings and then buying more just mm-hmm. to own. So we have an infrastructure of staffing and um, it was a tool. Yep. And it wasn't a long-term tool, but it was just a tool that we exercised and we had to adapt and acclimate. And those tools kept us alive during a time that was uh, less than favorable for entrepreneurship, business, and specifically real estate, uh, specifically, which we were immersed in. Great. And we are coming up against our first break. This is Success Profiles Radio. My special guest is Jerome Maldonado. We will be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to a Gallup poll, 56% of Americans want to lose weight. Most of us know that muscle burns more calories than fat. So when you're trying to lose weight, you want to lose body fat while preserving the muscle you have. Lifting weights while you're losing weight is not an option. It's a requirement. According to a Penn State study, when dieters don't pump iron, 22% of their weight loss comes from losing muscle. So if you lose 20 pounds without lifting weights, almost five pounds will be muscle. Upping your protein intake is important. And Columbia University researchers found that protein intake plays a significant role in preserving lean muscle mass during weight loss. Preserve your muscle as you drop the body fat. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. And welcome back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Jerome Maldonado. And we are going to talk about buying land, building homes, and flipping that uh, as we progress through the show. And if you have not subscribed to Ultimate Achievers Magazine, you can go to ultimateachieversmagazine.com, pick your subscription option, and you can read every single issue we've ever done. This month is our sixth year anniversary. It's a monthly digital magazine. I would be honored if you would subscribe, give it a shot, 
and see how you like it. If you were to read one issue a week, it would take you more than a year to get through all the content on that site. So there's a lot there for you. So go ahead and subscribe to ultimateachieversmagazine.com. You'll be so glad you did. So Jerome, the next question I would love to ask is, what do you think is the highest value skill anyone can develop? Um, the high value skill that anybody can develop. That's a great question. You know, when you say anybody, I think anybody, there's a lot of skills that anybody can develop, but it, it comes from discipline. Mm -hmm. And so discipline is a skill that I think everybody can work at because I think it's a very taboo thing in, uh, in the world in general. Um, I, I think people lack in discipline and mm -hmm. consistency. And that is probably one of the most needed skills in business and entrepreneurship is uh, the ability to be disciplined, to stay consistent. Um, because most people get distracted um, with all kinds of different stuff, shiny objects, life in general, um, you know, from the small, what I consider to be some of the smallest um, bumps in the road, they, they get magnified into multitudes of large, large things from um, divorces and, um, or breaking up with girlfriends or just um, an ailment that is smaller than a, than something large that they magnify, you know, or they just use anything to, mm -hmm. um, as an excuse, you know, so I think that anybody can, can acquire discipline. It, it, it's a conscious choice. Yeah. I think the biggest sure. problem is, Brian, is they need, they need somebody to set that example for them. And, and mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Sure. I owned a bunch of subway stores and I would hire, we had hundreds of employees because we became one of the largest in the Southwest um, at one point in time. And I learned a lot about entry level employees. I thought we had them in construction. We don't. Um, our guys are actually paid really well. So it's a whole different demographics of people. And what I learned when we owned our subway stores is that, and, and this may sound crude or rude to a lot of people, but it's the God honest truth. We would hire these younger adults or younger professionals or however you want to label them. And they had, the vast majority of them had no work ethic. Mm. And um, they had an entitlement persona about them. And, and it went across the board from young to old, but mostly in the young. And what I learned is that when I opened up my business in the early, in the early 1990s, and we started buying subway stores in 2010, is that those two decades, something had changed. And what it was, was we had an entitlement of young adults that now have young children that are now at a work age. And what I said is I said, you can't fix when stupid raises stupid. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is when a stupid parent raises a stupid kid, it's really hard to fight against that, to give them discipline. Mm -hmm. So what landed up happening is I said, okay, guys, we can't fix until somebody wants to be fixed or they're aware that they need to be fixed. You can't fix them because it, 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 uh, ignorance is bliss. And when they're ignorant to the fact that they have no work ethic, you can't fix something that they don't feel is broken in, in spite of it being broken. So what we did instead is we started seeking out staff that had discipline. Well, how do you do that? Well, like, for example, students. I would tell my staff, I'd say, okay, school-age school kids 
do not hire them unless they one are in school full time and secondly they're in an extracurricular activity and then three this is number three their job it doesn't matter what type of extracurricular activity it is they can be the chess club it could be student senate it can be volleyball basketball football or traditional sports they just have to be involved in something other than just school plus work and one of my managers told me well Jerome that's really difficult because I can never schedule them because their schedules are so t- are so are so difficult and I said yeah but let me explain to you that because their schedules are so difficult when you do schedule them they actually show up sure. where it's the contrary with people that aren't busy and so those people have the ability but it has to be a conscious decision and their awareness has to be risen within them to, for them to understand that hey i lack in discipline mm-hmm. i lack in work ethic and i want to make a conscious choice because of all the heartache that i've went through without hope, being able to sustain a job or a lucrative job because employers mm-hmm. won't won't deal with it and um, as an entrepreneur you'll die um, in comparison, if you go to into competition with somebody like me mm-hmm. who does have discipline or anybody else who does. Yeah. So I think everybody has the ability to, um, to train themselves, but it's a conscious decision. So if there's like yeah. listeners and they know like right now that they're lagging, they're looking for like this, this magical get rich quick um, scheme. They don't exist. We've owned so much and I'm just like them. I've always wanted an easier way. But you know the thing that I've learned, Brian, over mm. the course of the last 30 years I've been self-employed? Mm. Nothing is easy. Right. Everything's a pain in the ass. Everything takes work. But there's financial reward in anything that bears a return on your investment if you're in the right industry that is needed as long as you stay consistent at it and you stay disciplined at it for a duration of time. Because where the rewards are financially is where you invest your time. Yes. And most people are just looking for an easy, quick way. So if that's you and you're listening, I just tell you guys, look, get a little more discipline and stay in an industry. If you're in a multi-billion dollar industry like nutrition or health or fitness or, or real estate or, um, or, what, or retail or of, uh, of, of goods and services, you're in the right direction, mm-hmm. but stay focused on it. Yeah. Stop looking for the easy way out of it. Stay mm-hmm. focused on it and be disciplined about it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about buying land. Let's talk about real estate investing because this is what you're doing right now. Why is buying land a great investment? Um, well, I'll tell you, they're not making, God's not making any more land, um, mm-hmm. at least in our foreseen future, right? Right. So I like land, but I only like land that can turn into an asset. Um, I'm not a vacant land guy that holds land long term. I know a lot of the old school farmers and old school business guys, they love land because ultimately at the end of the day, especially in a growing city demographically, it uh, pays a a great dividend in return um, as a city develops. Um, I'm more into the um, into finding land that I can turn into something palatable financially that's going to bear me passive income. So I do a lot of ground up stuff and there's two types of income in the, in the ground up game that I play in, in land and that's active income. And then the passive income side, um, we're in a, we're in a position in our world right now where there's a, a bottleneck in housing because there's a lack thereof. And you know, there's over, there's millions of rooftops that are needed. And so I like the active game of just buying land and building houses and, um, and profiting from them. 
And I also like the uh, the ground up game of uh, the passive game where we we buy land, we entitle it for multifamily or warehouses, we build them, hold them, and let them cash flow. And so, um, or we entitle it and sell it the land for a profit, one or the other. That's that's fantastic, and that's a really great great model because you can earn passive income on multifamily and warehouses. Is it more difficult to make money with single family? We got about three minutes to our break. No, you know that um, single families where I, I stay active because they're easy. They're a lot easier than commercial. They um, anybody can get into, into the uh, residential game. Lending is a lot simpler and uh, the profit proceeds uh, can come within months and they're so quicker than, than commercial real estate unless you're doing what's called value adding commercial meaning that you will buy an already existing commercial asset you go in renovate it or make management changes that bear a larger return on investment um, where then commercial could be profitable quicker but typically if you're doing the ground up game Residential, you can bear a profit so much faster, and they're lucrative profits too, especially when you learn uh, niches within specific sectors of residential real estate. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of different areas to be able to generate and pallet returns quickly. Great. We've got less than two minutes to the break. Where do you find great deals on land? Websites, referrals? How do you find your deals? Um, through relationships. Um, most of my deals come from relationships. And what we do is we, we don't look for land, Brian. What we do is we look for a business. We look for our business model within a demographical area. Once we find a, our business model that bears the returns we want, like the demographics of the homes we build, then we go in and we exercise uh, relationships with the best brokers in the area that dominate that that specific area and we create relationships with those folks um, over the course of time as you do one deal then a second then a third then a fourth what traditionally happens is you become one of their buyer pools and um, if you're in the game and you're you're buying real estate one of the the big things is you want to be somebody that stands behind their word like if you're going to if you there's close, there's people in real estate that have a bad reputation for not closing on deals mm -hmm. and they tie up all this real estate and it's bad, um, you know, because they, um, they drag people through the mud. We're on the opposite end. There's people like us that we vet the deals. We're very forthcoming. And if uh, we don't like the deal, we let them know. And if we land up liking the deal, we close. And, um, and when you do that, those brokers will go advocate for you. So will wholesalers. Yep. So we'll utilize wholesalers, brokers, all of the above, but it's mostly through relationships. Fantastic. And we're coming up against our break. My very special guest is Jerome Maldonado. We're talking about investing in real estate and what to do with it. And we will come right back. This is Success Profiles Radio. Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles. If I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio, and here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. 
If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back. This is Success Profiles Radio, and my very special guest this week is Jerome Malnaldo. We're talking about investing in real estate. And if you have not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio, you can do that on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it if you would do that. It would mean an awful lot to me. So, Jerome, let's talk about how you identify whether or not a property is a great investment opportunity for what you're doing. What criteria are you looking at? So there's a misconception. There is a misconception that um, you're looking for just this right, perfect piece of land, right? Like Mm -hmm. it just magnifies and jumps out at you. Mm -hmm. You have to have a specific niche that you're, uh, that, that, that you actually understand. And there's so many different asset classes within real estate. What I always tell people, I said, you have to distinguish what asset class to become well-versed in. So, there may be a piece of land that's a perfect, incredible piece of land for single family development, but horrible for commercial development and vice versa. And so first you gotta, you gotta understand a business model. So like for fix and flippers, you go into like a demographical area, right? And they're looking specifically as an example for a, a certain price of home within a certain demographical area. And they need to get it at a certain price because they're familiar with the comps and then they have to bear a profit after they do the renovations. Mm-hmm. And so the perfect fix and flip is one that bears a profit at the best um, at the best base price, knowing what they know about that area. Same thing with land. Um, so hard corners um, in, in growing areas is always desirable. Now, one thing that we do and how we designate like what's going to be good land is we talk to the economic development team at, at, within any municipality or city that we're going into. Um, we become very familiar with the progressive um, and, and relate. We form relationships with the progressive planners for the city and the economic development team, because those two sectors of governing body within a city and a municipal level are the ones that decide how and where that city is going to grow or that or that town is going to grow. Mm-hmm. And so once you understand the progressive growth pattern of that city, we follow growth. So the first, la- the first thing we look for is, okay, where is the city growing? What is the city and economic development team supporting in, in, the, in lieu of growth? And so we biasly focus our energy there. Now, once you do that, Brian, one of the things that 
I always tell people is you have to have a knowing business model. So if you're doing single family, our, our business model sits in the upper demographics of the upper, upper middle class. So I always tell people don't build houses under half a million dollars and don't build houses in excess of a million dollars because excess of a million dollars, you start hitting the ultra wealthy or the wealthy and that only constitutes for about 3% of home buyers. Um, under half a million, um, because the average median home now is sitting right around $400,000, you start competing with the mass builders like DR Horton, Pulte, Lennar Homes, all of these guys that are bearing profits that are a lot smaller because they're building volume. Mm-hmm. And so for a small guy going in, it's bad because if something happens and they're only building onesie, twosie, and the market compresses, their profit might disappear. Where if you hit the upper middle class, which constitutes for 24% of home buyers, that little sector there between half a million and a million has a, a large profit of about $200,000, give or take, depending on how you build your house and what you pay for your land, a profitability. And so you have a lot more room for error if a market compresses on you. So it's been a safe haven for us over the course of the last 25 plus years that we've been building. And I love that demographic layer. So what I do is I go in and find the perfect land in an area that supports that business model itself. So mm-hmm. I go look for comps that support first that business model. And then I look for the best piece of land at the best price within that demographical area that fits that business model. And it typically also follows the progressive growth plan of the city because that's where people are moving. They're following mm-hmm. stores, retail, gas stations, hospitals, uh, schools, um, restaurants, all of that stuff. And in multifamily, we go in and we hit areas that are around highly populated areas where rent rates support what we need for, um, for development. And, um, and typically, um, we hit workforce areas that are in the upper median um, for income earners. So it's a lot easier for us to stabilize the properties at, at higher rent rates because those areas simply support the growth, the rent rates we need, and it allows us to find land in those areas that we can go in and, uh, and carve off to do our developments for multifamily. So all of that together, Brian, really plays a factor in yeah. what, we buy as far as land and how and what is actually a good deal. And then obviously price becomes the ultimate component um, after we've vetted all of the above that I just talked about. That's absolutely fantastic. And that's a super specific niche. And you can find a lot of properties in that niche as well. So what does due diligence look like when you are looking for deals? We're looking for, we're looking for reassurance, right? We're looking for affirmation. So um, that, that uh, comps are a big thing or pro formas as they're called in the commercial sector. We're looking, we're looking to compare like properties that we're proposing um, at, at, at current market rents when we're doing commercial development, like in warehouse. Um, we'll look at uh, areas that demographically look like the area that we're going to be building in and we get rent pro formas. Um, what are the, what is the market currently performing at as far as vacancies, as far as, um, rent amounts how does that compare to the cost of building and if the cost of building is less than the value um, based on current performers then we know we're in a good area right so you don't want to go into an area where rents are low uh, there's no market documentation that um, the rents will support 
the current cost to build. Otherwise, you build, you can't stabilize, and you may land up losing the property. So due diligence looks like a lot of uh, research on numbers um, as far as rent rates and uh, to be able to vet the return on investment. Um, and then on the residential sector, same thing. We're looking for comps. We want, we want like properties that we're building. We want to find the most profitable square footage for homes. Uh, we want to compare market data with it that's within a one-year period has bared the same market circumstances that we're all bearing at the same time, high interest rates, inflation, and, and we're competing against builders that are going up against the same caveats that we're encountering as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that way we know that, that the build can afford itself and still bear a profit, right? So we want comps that, that prove that to us. So a lot of our due diligence revolves around numbers. Now there's a lot more due diligence than just that, Brian, um, like, you know, is, is the land on a slope um, mm-hmm. or is it in a, in a waterway or flood area? What, what does it take to mitigate the expense of uh, making the lot buildable? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and what is, what's the actual cost of doing that? And can the, can the build afford itself if we paid fair market value for land? Typically the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And in those circumstances, we negotiate the price on the land down to afford what it would cost to fix the land as a whole. Um, you know, so though that's what due diligence looks like. It, it's it's what what needs to be done to make it a viable project, and mm-hmm. can the can the uh, can it afford itself? And do comps support all of those uh, those caveat items and still bear a return on investment? And if the answer is yes, then we typically know we have a good a good uh, purchase. If it doesn't, then we know we need to migrate and look for something somewhere else. Absolutely. So, what does financing on these types of deals look like? Um, what is? I'm sorry. Timing. Timing looks like fin- uh, finance. Financing. Oh, financing. I thought said we've got okay. three minutes. So, financing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, financing is is tough right now, all the way across the board. Um, you know, and so I think people mistake high interest rates for the um, the push of threshold. On because we do a lot of ground up construction, we're not too worried about interest rates. Um, we do have to be concerned about them, but we have to be more concerned with, with time management. So where most people have gotten sloppy managing project projects, um, even on value add, um, on existing assets, you've got to be careful because until you stabilize those assets, you really don't bear a profit. So financing to us right now, we'd rather have leverage over um, desirable interest rates until we're ready to stabilize. Then once we're ready, ready to stabilize and get a long-term loan, on it, then interest rates become more important to us. But right now, we don't mind the high interest rates. We just have to get, we've just had to become better project managers and, um, and scheduling has to become more important because otherwise we have a lot more debt service and it becomes, it, be, it becomes more of a play due to lack of a, being efficient than it does high interest rates, which should be at the forefront of any project anyways, but it's not for most people. So. We just uh, have focused more on cleaning up our operations and our systems and processes, and we're not as worried about the high interest rates, but we are unstabilized in because we don't want to get tied into a high interest rate with an, with uh, early buyout penalties. So that's where we come into some really neat lending where it comes into like HUD lending, becomes more attractive, Fannie Mae lending um, becomes more uh, attractive, uh, Freddie Mac lending becomes more attractive. Um, and even, you know, a lot of private credit and private equity 
uh, becomes more attractive in times like that. And I can go down a foxhole on any one of those categories. I don't want to do that today, Brian, but right. um, you know, for the listeners and regards to their interests, they do a little research in any of those. Um, they can understand the pros and cons as to how the, the, some of those finance options are available to them and what the, uh, the pros and the cons are in any of those uh, financing options. Lending still available, but you just have to get a little more creative and pay attention to the pros and cons of the different types of financing that are available and make sure that it fits the business model that supports where you're going and migrating to um, for your investment. Fantastic. We're coming up against our final break. I cannot believe how quickly this is going. My very special guest this week is Jerome Maldonado. We are talking about buying land and building on it. And we're talking about funding and we're talking about due diligence and everything relating to investing in real estate and making a profit on it and even cash flow. We'll come right back after the break. Down the stretch we come. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With the newness of spring, it may be time to change up your workout. It's always a good idea to cross-train, but there are also times that you need to change the way you work out. If you've been doing the same thing in your exercise for a while, and your results have seemed to stall, it's time to change things up. Making little adjustments can add up to big gains. If you lift light or moderate weight, why not lift heavier weights with less repetitions? Shock your body and get the results you are after. If your daily walk is not giving you the outcome that you desire, try doing cardio intervals. Walk for three minutes, then run for one minute. Repeat this sequence until you've completed at least 30 minutes. The calorie burn is much higher, and it's good for your body and mind to change up your workout. I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams. Welcome back. This is Success Profiles Radio and my very special guest this week is Jerome Maldonado. We're talking about investing in real estate and making a profit and even cash flowing off of it. And what I want to ask you next is about your favorite deal. You've done many, many deals, but is there one that stands out to you that is your favorite for any reason? Yeah, I mean, there's a. I have a lot of different stories, right? And for different yeah. reasons, we've just been in the game for so long. But I'd say the one that really opened my horizons to lar to growth was the 2008 recession and a portfolio of garbage that I bought. When I say garbage, it was probably 
real estate is graded between just like grades in school, A, B, C, D, and F is like a don't do, right? Like, mm-hmm. but I was buying what you would consider to be D properties. And so they were, they were ugly properties uh, right off the 202 between 40th and 44th Street in Phoenix. I know you're familiar with it because you lived out in Phoenix um, yep. for a long, a good duration of time. Well, there was less, desi- less than desirable fourplexes. We were picking them up for between thirty-five dollars and $40,000 per fourplex. And at a time where I didn't have a lot of co- money coming in because of circumstances outside of my control, we had to be very strategic on what we bought. And I landed up buying, uh, assembling 64 fourplexes that I purchased at very inexpensive prices in right in the middle of central Phoenix, which is predominantly um, a, a large area for um, immigrants and predominantly even illegal immigrants coming in because of the affordability of, of that area. And we were picking up single family homes in the neighborhood of 25000 to about $35,000. And we were renting them for between $900 and $1,100 a month. Wow. So we were crushing it with our rentals and that was actually what was servicing the debt on a lot of our retail that was um so financially distressed at the time it helped us get through we i was all into the 64 units and 12 single family homes for around nine hundred thousand dollars cash out of pocket and i did buy them all cash over the course of about two years as i was selling off single family homes that we had bought land built houses they were those houses were still profitable during the recession we took a little shavings off our profit. We were making about 110,000 a house pre-recession and post-recession. We were making about 80 to 85 and, um, but still profitable, very lucrative still. And so we were taking that money, buying these homes and I assembled them and kept them and cash flowed on them and serviced the, uh, the debt against uh, our other real estate. And then I landed up packaging them into a portfolio loan that, Costed me um, a total of about just shy of uh, $5,000 a month. And we were making um, right around, geez, uh, 20 some thousand dollars a month. So we were, we were cash flow positive um, really, really well on those. Mm-hmm. So we cash flowed on those all the way to 2016, year after year. And um, they made us a ton of money. And I was finally got sick of the small tenants. So it was the first 1031 exchange that I had ever done. Um, and at the time, we probably had a real estate portfolio that was worth someplace in the neighborhood of about $25 million, give or take, depending on how you evaluated it. And I'll tell you, I sold that, that real estate portfolio for $3.9 million. So obviously extremely profitable, um, almost four times. Um, it was almost a four, 400% return on investment mm-hmm. over that course of time. We, I bought an apartment complex in um, Tolleson, Arizona mm-hmm. for $7.8 million, beautiful property. And in 2020, I did a cash out refi on it. And that same property I bought for $7.8 million appraised for $15.1 million. We, um, we leveraged it at a 4% interest rate and, uh, and still a, a 6% cap rate. And even at a 6% cap rate, $15.1 million valuation, I was able to stuff a few million dollars. I got 100% of all my, my, my money back my, by $4 million, plus I kept equity in the thing, plus it still cash flows. And I, I get to depreciate it because I still hold it today. And I turned, it in, I turned an, a $900,000 investment in a time when, t- t- when times were gloomed 
into a 15 plus million dollar asset. And it just goes to show what time, patience, and, um, and, uh, and a little bit of luck has to do with all of that. That is absolutely incredible. Let's talk about your, your coaching program because you help people learn how to do this. Tell us about that. Yes. So, so obviously when we look at, um, when we, when you look at things and people are probably listening to this going, yeah, but how do I even get involved in, in, uh, in the magnitude and the level of real estate that, um, Jerome is, is a part of, it seems mm-hmm. almost unfathomable for most people when you're talking millions of dollars, but, Brian, I'll tell you, man, it, I, I was just a young kid that couldn't even afford a, a 99 cent burrito at a cafe diner when I was a kid in college. And my parents didn't give me that money, that, that extra money to, that most parents do um, to enjoy those college years. I struggled through them financially. And if I, and as a, a dyslexic kid can do it, anybody really can. But again, it comes back down to desire, discipline and consistency. And the big thing is, is it's taken me 30 years to get here. And that's what people have to recognize. And some people are sitting back and they may just want to click that off. I don't want to wait 30 years to get to where he's at. I want it today because we live in an instantaneous uh, society. As I look out my window and I see a McDonald's across the street, everything is, is instant, everything, fast food, this, everything is, is quick, right? Um, and, and I tell people, this isn't get rich quick, but you can get rich doing it and you can stay rich forever. Because it's a real business that has long-term viability and housing is one thing that's always going to need, be needed. No matter how you ante it up, it's always going to be needed. And so coaching is, is the key. Without good mentors, Brian, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I've had a lot of them. And some of them in small little magnitudes that have performed acts of, um, of direction to, uh, to me that in that moment I needed. And there's others that have given me magnitudes of massive direction at times when I needed. And those are the ones that really moved the needle in a big way for me, but all of them needed. And so we started, um, we started coaching on this stuff uh, several years back. And I'll tell you, I, I, it's not a very lucrative industry in the coaching world, but the rewards that we get from it are worth its weight in gold. Um, the lives that we've been able to change are, have been absolutely incredible and people from all walks of life, blue collar, white collar professionals. And, um, and it's just incredible. So, I mean, that in itself motivates me to, to keep doing what I'm doing in the education space, but it biasly, it also helps me with capital raise the community that I built. There's people that don't want to do what I do, but they'll invest in my projects with me. Um, you know, and there's a deal flow that comes from it. There's a lot of wholesalers, fix and flippers and um, people that it, brokers that come into my proximity through our education program. And we, we carve off some profitability for them, make it worth their time. And some of the most incredible projects have come directly from our coaching program. So, so yeah, we do offer um, some educational and coaching and, um, I didn't think we'd be in it this long, um, Brian, mm-hmm. but it's been a great business and um, it's been a very rewarding business and uh, not, 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 not as much to us, but more so to the people that have been a part of it, which are students. Yeah. While I'm thinking about it, where can people learn more about that and study with you if they want to? Yeah, I'm sure my name is right in the uh, cliff notes or highlight notes here in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, 
in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so if you just go to JeromeMaldonado.com or you find me on any platform under Jerome Maldonado, uh, we're real easy to contact. Um, you just go to the contact page of any of our landing pages. On Instagram, it is the Jerome Maldonado. And um, all other platforms are just Jerome Maldonado. Uh, but yeah, we're easy to find. If you go to our contact site and you hit um, contact us, you'll get our info at JeromeMaldonado.com and um, our customer service team will, Rick and our team will reach out to you and um, and we'll embrace any questions or direction that people are in need of or uh, or would desire. Absolutely. What has surprised you the most about your journey? Um, what has surprised me the most? I'll tell you, the, the one thing that surprised me the most out of anything, Brian, is the mm-hmm. fact that people aren't willing to do what it takes. It's disappointing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, everybody's so monetary. One thing that surprised me is that I've told people forever. I was, you know, I've had, like I said it earlier in the, in the show, I've had friends make millions of dollars, but their success has come and gone because everybody's looking for that fast quick dollar and when i ante up our net worth i I don't know one of them that's worth more than us and and i don't pound my chest because of that i just thank the good lord that i never threw in the towel because there was times that man i wanted to brian there was hard days hard months hard years and there was times where i said there's got to be an easier way and i want to throw in the towel and i did it and i just thank the good lord that i did it because um i'll tell you i wouldn't be where i am today and I would probably be in the same situation that the vast majority of those people are in if I would have uh, thrown in the towel in times that I wanted to quit. And so surprising enough to me, I, I, um, I just see people that don't recognize that. And nobody told me that. Surprisingly enough, no mm-hmm. one told me, say, Jerome, just stay consistent. Just keep doing what you're doing. It really took me more worried about not making money the next month or the next year um, by giving up something that was cash producing that kept me hungry and thriving in the, in, in an industry that other, I otherwise hated. Yeah, and uh, sure. that fear of loss kept me going. And, um, and I just thank God that I didn't listen to my, to my counterpart of uh, and my devil on my left shoulder telling me to give it up and quit because I wouldn't have been here. To, I wouldn't be here today, Brian. So it surprised me enough that more people aren't successful and all they really have to do is continue putting in the time and stay consistent to do so. Yep, we got about a minute and a half to the end. Who inspires and motivates you? Um, my family motivates me. They don't motivate me in a physical way. I'm more motive, self-motivated. I don't need anybody to motivate me. Right. But they motivate me because they depend on me. Mm-hmm. Like my children depend on me. Their, uh, their futures to a certain magnitude depend on me. If I want it to be, if they want their futures to be easier than what they, they, they would be otherwise. Um, my wife, everybody, I, my family motivates me. I, I do what I do, not for me anymore, because I'm fine for the rest of my life. I only continue doing what I'm doing because I just know that if I quit doing what I'm doing now, I just did my, my family a disservice and, um, and I take away what could be for them in, the, in their futures. So that motivates me, Brian, to get me up and keep me going every day. Fantastic. We are at the end. Jerome, thank you for being here. I really appreciate having you here with us to share your wisdom with my audience. Brian, thank you. And I just really appreciate your time. And uh, thank you to to your audience for listening and, and enjoying and embracing everything that we talked about today.
Great. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview another world-class achiever, learn what they did, what they overcame, and the lessons we can learn along the way. Until next week, take care, everyone. Goodbye. Have a great week. being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. We'll have guests that will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. If you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. 